On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcasts platforms. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just a warning that this podcast contains depictions of graphic violence. Today on the Indo Daily, murder, mayhem, and a manhunt that shook the nation. A Garda helicopter hovers ominously over the dark Alandra Wood in the Clare Hills. Deep in the forest, cars are slewed across the remote road at the brow of the hill. Gunfire crackles in the morning air and a slight figure with a straggly red beard dressed in a green combat jumper and jeans lies face upwards on the road. An old farmer crouches down and someone is wrapping a blanket around a girl with a mane of russet hair. Bloodstains slashed across her bare feet as she whimpers in pain. The manhunt is over. The suspect is bundled into a Garda car. But three people are still missing, and the urgent question is, are they dead or alive? I'm Fionn Sheen, and today on the Indo-Daily, I'm joined by Ralph Regal, Irish Independent Southern correspondent, to recall the dark events of the summer of 1994, which cast a long shadow over the country. Ralph, who was Imelda Riney? What do we know about her? Imelda Riney was originally from Dublin. Um, from a very early age, she displayed a great interest in art and her dream was to become an artist. So to facilitate that, she moved to the UK. She did um, obviously painting, but she also did um, the decoration of figurines and figures and stuff like that. Um, in 1994, she was 29 years old. Um, she had gotten into a relationship with an English-based man called Val. And they had two um, boys together, Oshin, who was seven in 1994, and Liam, who was three. Now, unfortunately, the relationship didn't work out. They remained good friends. It was quite an amicable split. But Imelda, I think, to pursue her her dream of a career as an artist, um, she had relocated back to Ireland. And she chose to live in a very remote cottage in Forestry, just outside Whitegate in County Clare. She'd only been there um, a relatively short time, but she loved, I think, the seclusion, the beauty of the forest. She did art classes with local children, was a very popular person in the area, but again, had this almost bohemian mystique about her because I think of the way she dressed, because of her 
her love of art and um, her love of nature. Um, and it, as it happened in um, April and May of 1994, her partner Val had come to Ireland to visit the children and to see her. One would bring the children to school and they would share meals together, whatever. That's what that's the position that, that, that she was in in April and May of 1994. Now, Father Joe Walsh, tell me about him. Yeah, Father Joe Walsh um, was a priest based in um, the Galway area, again, very close to, um, you know, the, the, that part of of um, Clare um, to the west of Loch Derg. Um, in 1994, he was 37 years old. Um, he was a very popular cleric and was renowned for his um, commitment to his, his parish duties. One of the things that was quite apparent in 1994 is that when he missed um, a sermon that he was due to attend, it, it immediately raised alarm bells because he was so dedicated to his ministry that if he said he was going to be at something, invariably he was there early and would, would spend extra time afterwards with parishioners or helping people. Very involved in the community, a very, very popular cleric. And he was involved in charities. He was involved in a lot of kind of community development organizations, had a love of sport and was generally a very, very popular and well-got um, priest within the diocese. Now, tell me about Brendan O'Donnell and this man who had a he had a troubled past. Yeah, every single aspect of his childhood and his early adult life is marked by tragedy. Um, he was born in 1974. Um, from an early age, he displayed worrying signs of psychiatric problems. Um, he would hear voices, uh, he would see visions of people in his bedroom. Uh, often he would complain to the family members that when he was eating his dinner, he would see worms in his food, though clearly there were no worms present. And really, he was very troubled. But the turning point seemed to be in 1984, when his mother, whom he had idolized, his mother died after um, a tragic fall. It was a terrible blow for a young Brendan. He was 10 years old at the time and it really seemed to have a tremendous impact both on his personality and on his mental well-being. And initially he refused to accept that his mother was dead. I mean, one family story is that he was attending the wake and he refused to accept openly saying that the person in the coffin was not his mother. Um, in the weeks and months after his mother's death, he would slip away from the house and sleep on her grave. Uh, and really from that point on, it was a downward spiral. Um, in his early teens, he got involved in petty crime. He would break into houses. He would commit uh, petty thefts. But things significantly escalated when he stole um, a rifle. And because of that, then he came before the courts. He was sent to a young offenders institution. From from then on, it just became problem after problem. Uh, he would sleep rough. In one particular point, he had certain places that he would go to if he was in difficulty. And I suppose one of the awful um, coincidences of what had happened was that he would go to a secluded cottage. It was abandoned at the time uh, near Craig Woods, and that's where he would squat and he would sleep. And unfortunately, that was the cottage that, when it was renovated, was eventually um, taken over by Emil de Rainey. He went to the UK for a brief period. He came back. He absconded from the Young Offenders Institution. And a very poignant story occurred in 1989. He was just 
uh, 15, 16 years old at the time. And he arrived disheveled, um, soaked to the skin at a farmhouse um, operated by Tony Mugovan. And the family took pity on him. They they were shocked at the condition that he was in. Uh, the family took him in. They they gave him, you know, shelter. They gave him food. And the family actually went above and beyond trying to get help for him because they realized that here was a very troubled young man. He was a, a person who needed psychiatric help. And they went to, to various psychiatric institutions in, in Limerick, uh, Clare and Galway, desperately trying to get him the residential care that they believed he needed and unfortunately they weren't able to do so and it appears that Brendan O'Donnell slipped through the cracks in terms of the, the support network or the healthcare network within Irish society with awful consequences um, for, for the Riney family, for the Walsh family and ultimately for the entire community uh, in, in, that, in Whitegate in Clare. Now, We arrived then at May of 1994. The country is on the up. Our economic fortunes are are improving. The the peace process uh, is is really gaining hold at that point. We're a month out from Ireland competing at at World Cup 94. But then we have this this tragedy uh, emerges and it, it really does convulse the nation. Brendan O'Donnell lands on the doorstep of Imelda Riney. And as you've you've pointed out, he has a connection to to that property previously. What happens from there? Yeah, it it really is um, a sequence of events that I think even almost 30 years on, it has society quite shocked in terms of such a level of violence um, could occur. By April of 1994, Brendan O'Donnell was was seriously um, unwell. He was hearing voices and he would hallucinate, he would claim to see apparitions of people. He seemed to have a particular obsession with good and evil and with the devil, the devil's child. And he had, in in the week of um, April the 25th to the 29th, he appears to have broken into a property and stolen a .22 caliber rifle. And on the morning of Friday, April the 29th, 1994, Amel Riney was with her two children, Oshin and Liam, her partner, um, her ex-partner had arrived and he took Oshin, who was the older of the boys, um, with him to a project that he was working on. And the plan was that he would call back to the cottage in the woods, uh, near Craig Woods, um, later in the day uh, to, to visit with Imelda and little Liam. Now, when he arrived back to the cottage later in the day, he found that the, the kettle was on the hob. It had burnt out. Um, his partner's smoking pouch was still on the mantelpiece. It hadn't been taken. And he was concerned that they weren't there, but he decided they could have gone away maybe at the last minute. And the alarm was only raised eventually on Sunday, May the 1st. Now, what had transpired afterwards had happened was that shortly after Val had left uh, with Oshin, um, who was seven at the time, uh, Brendan O'Donnell had arrived at the property. He was armed and he forced uh, Imelda and her son Liam to get into the, her Ford Fiesta car at gunpoint. Now, it, it, it appears afterwards that Imelda had tried desperately to negotiate with Brendan to calm him down. Uh, she realised that he, he was obviously very, very distressed, distraught and not in his right mind. And the details vary over precisely what had happened. It appears that Imelda had tried to attract the attention of other motorists um, as to her predicament as she drove along the road. 
Uh, Brendan O'Donnell realised this and he got even more agitated and eventually he forced her to drive to an area near Craig Woods uh, where Imelda was shot um, through the left eye. It's unclear if she had tried to grab the gun in a bid to disarm him and save herself and her son or whether it was a deliberate act but she was shot and killed instantly. Um, At that point it appears that little Liam had crawled over to his mother. I mean, a tragic sequence of events which came out during the subsequent Central Criminal Court murder trial. And little Liam was apparently cuddling his mother when Brendan O'Donnell again shot him in the head. Uh, Afterwards, Brendan O'Donnell said that he decided to kill the little boy because he didn't want him growing up without a mother in a stark reference to his own experiences for losing his mother when he was 10 years old. So O'Donnell has now murdered this young woman and her child, but his spree of violence continues. He makes his way to Galway and visits Father Joe Walsh. Yeah, I think I think the killing of Imelda Riney and her little boy Liam was was the point of no return. Um, he had apparently buried both in a shallow grave in Craig Woods. A short time later, um, the Ford Fiesta was burnt out. He had visited with family who had no inkling of what he had just done and eventually travelled on to Father Joe Walsh um, near his um, near his home. Now, this was on the evening of Tuesday, May the 3rd, the early hours of Wednesday, May the 4th. Now, Father Joe Walsh did not know Brendan O'Donnell. Um, it is unclear precisely why he was targeted, whether Brendan O'Donnell had targeted him because of things he had heard about the priest trying to help people in trouble or his kindness or his compassion. But he appears to have approached Father Walsh and held him at gunpoint, forced him to get into his blue Opel Astra car and made him drive to the same area of Craig Woods, where just a couple of days before he had shot and killed Imelda and uh, little Liam. Again, it's unclear, did Father Walsh believe that he was trying to help talk down um, a very distraught and disturbed man in a bid to save uh, this woman and child? But as it transpired, Father Walsh ended up being shot and killed in precisely the same way. He was shot at point-blank range with the .22 caliber rifle. And interestingly, in all three cases, that of Imelda, um, her son Liam and Father Walsh, they were all shot on the left side of the face. And Father Walsh's body was 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 basically hidden and not that far from the place where Brendan O'Donnell had placed Imelda and Liam in shallow graves. Now, O'Donnell is now on the run. He is a, he's a triple murderer. He, he kidnaps a 17-year-old girl, Fiona Sampson, who, who's very fortunate ultimately to be, to be alive, although he said he didn't intend to kill her. Uh, how did the Gardaí ultimately link the murders to Brendan O'Donnell? Yeah, that's an interesting question, Fanon. And like on the Sunday, um, Val and um, Imelda's former partner had, had reported her missing. And it appears initially that the Gardaí believed that this was an artistic person, a bohemian person. You know, they drift in and out of society. She might have gone off somewhere unexplained. And I don't think the importance was attached to it that, you know, had it been a person who, you know, was whose disappearance was completely and utterly out of character. And I think it was only when her car was found burnt out that the Guardi began to be very concerned about what was going on. 
And things really escalated then when the Gardaí got reports. First, I mean, Father Joe Walsh was reported missing uh, within literally 12 hours because he never showed up for a sermon um, the following morning, which would have been Wednesday, May the 4th, which was entirely out of character. Several parishioners had reported him missing. So the Gardaí suddenly had two, uh, three different missing people um, within Galway and Clare, not very far apart. And apparently very early on, the name Brendan O'Donnell was being raised with Gardy because he had been living rough on and on, off and on for about five years in the general Craigwood area. He, of course, he had a history of having stolen a firearm as a teenager. A number of break-ins in the area were generally attributed to him. And locals were well aware that Brendan O'Donnell was very, very unwell in terms of his mental stability. But I think things really escalated when several people reported that they had seen Brendan O'Donnell in a blue Opel Astra car, which, of course, was the vehicle owned by um, Father Joe Walsh. That car was eventually found burnt out on Friday, May the 6th. And at that point, a huge operation um, between Galway and Clare Gardaí um, kicked into place. Williamstown Pier is only a few miles from Imelda Riney's home at Whitegate and a major land and air search got underway in the area at first light. Members of, the, well, what was then, I mean, it's now referred to as the armed support unit, but back then uh, you had a lot of armed guardy came into the area. Air support units were provided. Searches of woods, forestry, undergrowth was taking place across the entire area. And then, of course, um, late on Friday, May the 6th, early hours of Saturday, May the 7th, as you referred to, you had this kidnapping of a local teenager, Fiona Sampson. The alarm was raised immediately because someone saw um, the teenager being um, abducted. And it, it, as Brendan O'Donnell was traveling with the teenager, he came across a local man who very bravely um, confronted him and grappled with him um, for the rifle. Gardaí were on the scene very, very quickly. Um, Brendan O'Donnell was was over overpowered. He was held on the roadway while medical attention was 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 attended to to the the shocked teenager. And to make an incredibly bizarre scene even more bizarre was that members of the media arrived on the scene and were able to come very close to Brendan O'Donnell. And of course. To, to, there's some very famous um, reportage at the time from Liam Collins, of course, with the Irish Independent and Declan White, who was a freelance journalist at the time, of being at the scene as Brendan O'Donnell um, was being apprehended. The man protested his innocence as he entered Loch the station where he's being held for questioning. I know nothing about the woman and kid that are missing and being blamed around. That's why the pressure's on me. The rifle he had used prior to his arrest was also taken in for examination. And of course, it must be remembered at this time, they didn't realise that they were dealing with three murders. And it was only when there was a detailed search of Craig Woods that the bodies of Imelda Riney, her son Liam and uh, Father Joe Walsh were eventually found. Even at that point, though, the story doesn't really end there. We end up with a, a guard investigation, obviously a, a file for DPP being compiled. And one of the longest trials in the state's history. Why was it so long and what was the ultimate verdict? At the time, it was the longest running murder trial in the history of the state. It opened in January of 1996 and it went on for 56 days at sitting. And I think really the core issue was, was Brendan O'Donnell guilty of murder or was Brendan O'Donnell insane? Was he incapable of having the intent 
uh, to commit murder? Was he not in full control of his actions and his faculties at the time? And it was an extraordinary trial. I mean, some of the things that came out of it in terms of the, you know, the tragedy of his own background, what he had gone through, um, there was no doubting that he had a long and, and very troubled history. But ultimately, he was convicted by the jury of the three murders and received a life sentence. If he was insane, why was he in court? It's been the longest murder trial in the history of the state. Today, on the 53rd day, it ended with Brendan O'Donnell facing life in prison. O'Donnell is tonight in Mountjoy Jail, awaiting transfer later, probably to Arbor Hill. He will appear again for further sentence, but his fate has tonight been sealed. The trial, of course, received enormous publicity. I mean, it was on the front page of the newspapers almost every single day. I mean, Brendan O'Donnell, he was basically 22 years old uh, when he was convicted of the, the three killings. And that was uh, in the middle of 1996. But on July the 24th, 1997, Brendan O'Donnell was discovered unresponsive in the Central Mental Hospital. Uh, desperate attempts were made to revive him, but they failed. So Brendan O'Donnell was dead at the age of 23. There was a major inquest into the circumstances of his death, and it was found that he was being prescribed a very strong antipsychotic medicine called thorazidine, and he had a, re a cardiac reaction to that. So when he took the medicine and went to bed, Essentially, his heart stopped beating and the desperate attempts to revive him the following morning failed. Looking back, what do you think the public reaction was at the time and, and has it faded from memory as time passes? I think the level of shock at the, the scale of the tragedy I think the, the violence that was visited on three innocent people, in particular, a little three-year-old boy, the circumstances of what was essentially an execution-style killing for um, little, little uh, Liam Riney was deeply shocking, I think, for society. I think the, the very fact that someone clearly as troubled and disturbed as Brendan O'Donnell could be effectively allowed roam free in society without the type of care that he desperately needed. I think that was equally as shocking. And the very fact that this individual had fallen through the cracks in society in terms of care, in terms of healthcare support, psychiatric supports, and the big what if, had he received the type of treatment and support he needed, might these three people still be alive today. And I think that was probably one of the most shocking aspects of the case. And I mean, the level of disturbance in Brendan O'Donnell's mind is that, I mean, he in the newspapers at the time, he was described as the devil killer. And it, one of the things that he explained was, why he was he was asked by the Guardi why had he why had he targeted Father Joe Walsh? And his response to them was a voice in his head told him to kill Father Joe. He is trying to christen the devil baby's son. So here's a man who's clearly the, the subject of of severe delusions, severe um hallucinations, and yet he was effectively allowed to live free in society, uh to, you know live rough in these woods with known connections to various kind of criminal incidents in the area without the type of help, without the type of support that he needed. And even an, another aspect of the tragedy is that, of course, the, the McGiven family had desperately tried to get him help because they knew this person was very, very unwell and needed help. And yet he was never given the type of support and help that he needed. 
And my thanks to Ralph Regal for joining me today. I'm Fiona Chain, and today's episode of the Indo Daily was researched and produced by Gareth Mulhall, recorded by Gavin Hennessy, with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips from RTE, the movie Property of the State, Virgin Media, the BBC, Channel 4, ITV, TG Car, and Independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow, and leave us a review.